Hello? Anybody home? Today, I want you to open your mind. I've almost come to the conclusion that the story is so damning that the mass of people can't deal with it. We are in process of developing a whole series of techniques to get people actually to love their servitude. We face a hostile ideology, global in scope, atheistic in character, ruthless in purpose and insidious in method. Well, we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence. To change the minds and the attitudes and the beliefs of the people of the world, especially the United States, to bring about one world socialist totalitarian government. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. It has patterned itself after every dictator who has ever planted the ripping imprint of a boot on the pages of history since the beginning of time. Brutes have risen to power, but they lie. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. If you can get people to consent to the state of affairs in which they are living, then you have a much more easily controllable society than you would if you were relying wholly on clubs and firing squads and concentration camps. Tools of conquest do not necessarily come with bombs and explosions and fallout. There are weapons that are simply thoughts, attitudes, prejudices, to be found only in the minds of men. As you connect the dots between different people, organizations, places, religions, history, suddenly the picture starts to form. If you don't connect the dots, it's just a mass of what's all this about. The kingdom of God is within man, not one man, nor a group of men, but in all men, in you, you the people have the power to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure. Someone born in the United States is not more special than someone born in Mexico. Someone who is white is not more special than someone who is black. They're just vehicles for the consciousness to experience. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength. They do not want your children to be educated. They do not want you to think too much. It was learned that the aliens had been and were then manipulating masses of people through secret societies, witchcraft, magic, the occult, and religion. They reach into our children in music, television, books. Prey on children's innocence. How can I disprove lies that are stamped with an official seal? So if you have the opportunity to stand next to one of these machines, it feels like an altar to an alien god. Genetic power is the most awesome force the planet's ever seen, but you wield it like a kid that's found his dad's gun. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc is now in the possession of the Army. Too many others know what's happening out there, and no one, no government agency has jurisdiction over the truth. Any state, any entity, any ideology that fails to recognize the worth, the dignity, the rights of man. That state is obsolete. A case to be filed under M for Mankind in the Twilight Zone. It's about time some of you got acquainted with the real hard truth. It's the heart that says, I will not acquiesce. Across the gulf of space, intellects, vast and cool and unsympathetic, regarded our planet with envious eyes. Each of us, when separated, is always looking for our other half. And the desire and the pursuit of the whole is called love. Heart perception will change everything. Freedom is the privilege to be right. Freedom from the disasters of our mistakes. Broadcasting from the Sonoran Desert, 
I'm your host, Ryan Gable, and you are tuned into The Secret Teachings Radio, airing five nights a week, Monday through Friday, 10 p.m. to midnight Pacific, right after Clyde Lewis and Ground Zero on GroundZero.radio and the Aftermath FM Ground Zero app. Some of you also listening in The Secret Teachings Archive that you can find on any radio or podcast player or on our website at www.thesecretteachings.info. Thank you so much for tuning in there as well. We have a Black Friday special for you. It's $40 discounted for the entire year subscription to the show. All of our shows, montages, all my digital books, and a private RSS feed. If you're just interested in the books, you can get all four of my digital books. And these are big books, thousands of pages. For only $20, you can use PayPal or the Cash App. There are links, again, on our website. The Cash App is MoneySignRDGable. And the PayPal email, as well as an email you can use to contact me directly about anything, is R-D-G-A-B-L-E, R-D-Gable, at Yahoo.com. And since I've been made fun of for having an old Yahoo account for uh, some time now, I uh, have decided a lot of errors, too, with my Yahoo account. Emails don't get sent or received. So I've decided to set up a Proton mail account, and you can reach me there at tstradio at protonmail.com. Similar on Twitter, tst underscore underscore radio. And, of course, just The Secret Teachings on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash The Secret Teachings. A couple of things from last night the show we did called Green Eggs and Turkey, we looked at how traditions that we have in different cultures, different parts of society, have been hijacked. And activists and the mainstream media, particularly CNN, are telling us that we should have a green Thanksgiving this year, that we should do things like prevent waste and not dress up our dishes and save the scraps, and make sure we know what we have before we go to the store to prevent waste. And these are all things that I thought, and as I talked about last night, we've already done these things for a very long time. We always do this around Thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving is about having excess and giving thanks for the excess. And we have a listener named Craig. His last name, I don't want to give it out, Craig V. And uh, he said he, he's going to be having the greenest Thanksgiving Uh, I'm very proud uh, that we have a listener who is so environmentally conscious. Craig said that he basically has no money to buy traditional holiday side dishes, much less turkey. So he is, he said he's the green Thanksgiving champion. So big round of applause for Craig. Craig is saving the environment. He's saving the planet. He's saving the earth. He is an eco warrior and we applaud him here on the secret teachings. I will also not be having turkey tomorrow. I am a quote, vegan, but not really a vegan. Uh, I also will not be having that really gross, disgusting tofurkey garbage. Uh, we will be having mashed potatoes. We will be having mushroom gravy made with uh, chickpea flour. Uh, I've stopped eating wheat because it makes me very sick. We'll also be having, I think, I, we're definitely going to have mashed potatoes and mushroom gravy homemade. And we're going to have a lentil loaf with a homemade ketchup. And probably have, uh, I think we have some Brussels sprouts. She picked up some Brussels sprouts. So that's my Thanksgiving dinner. I'm grateful for always having 
and abundance of food in the house. I'm also grateful for all of you listening to The Secret Teachings because the way that it works is when you listen to the show, not only do you support The Secret Teachings, you support GroundZero.radio, not only do you support the network and the show, but you support me directly. I do all this stuff myself. So you buy a book, you subscribe to the show, or if you listen to the free show or the show in the free archive, we get paid for those advertisements you hear. So that keeps us on air. And I am sincerely grateful for all of you listening who support what we do. Uh, Always a little bit under the radar from even the mainstream of the alternative. And it took a long time, but I am grateful for that. I'm glad to be where we are, in the position we are, and um, couldn't have done it without all of you who, some of you have been listeners for you know, longer than I can even remember what I used to do on the show eight, nine, ten years ago. So thank you so much for supporting us. It is Wednesday, November 23rd, 2022. You may be hearing this show again Wednesday or Thursday, or excuse me, Thursday or Friday, rather, because uh, we will have those two nights off, uh, as Clyde is going to have those two nights off as well. So we thought we would have a have a long extended weekend for Thanksgiving Uh, I will be putting up in our archive some old Thanksgiving shows, best ofs. If you haven't heard those, you can download them, of course, for free. Uh, I'll be putting up at least one show Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday until we get to next week, where we have quite a bit to talk about. We have the developing legal situation in Maricopa County, just up the road from where I live in Pima, here in Arizona. We have an attorney general investigation into the midterm elections, particularly into the governor's race. We have the Republican running for the attorney general uh, seat who, quote, lost the election by very, very few votes. He is taking the county to court over a number of issues that, again, we'll talk about when we do this show It's a developing situation every day. It's a big situation. I'm here in the middle of it. I'm keeping up with it. I've had my own own story to share here in Pima County. So I have uh, got a show prepared for you next week on that. Also, some really interesting news. We did a couple of shows recently on the mysteries of ancient Egypt and the cults of Isis and Osiris. And I saw this interesting story today. Hundreds of mummies and pyramid of an unknown queen have been unearthed at Saqqara. And this is a really fascinating find. Saqqara is the place in which the pyramid texts were found. And the pyramid texts are kind of like the Vedas of India or the Indus Sarasvati civilization. They are an incredible series of mystical texts that were inscribed on the walls. This is one sacred text I don't actually have a physical copy of. I'm if, Christmas gift, if you want to get me something, I'd love a copy of the pyramid texts, uh, not the actual stones. I'd like a paper book to make it, <laughs> make it easy to carry. Um, but this is a really interesting find. Uh, they haven't mentioned, uh, the archaeologists, what they've really uncovered within the, this structure. They just they found another pyramid uh, of an unknown queen uh, and a number of um, uh, mummies as well, hundreds of mummies, as a matter of fact, 
Uh, Egypt is, you know, statistically, there's very a very small percentage that has been unearthed, much like Gobekli Tepe, much like uh, much like pretty much any other ancient um, uh, archaeological site. You know, very little has been uncovered, and what has been uncovered is really beyond comprehension and defies, well, archaeology, astronomy, science, you know, philosophy. Uh, it defies what the ancient people are supposed to have based on our perceptions of them. So that is a fascinating find. We may do a show on that. Hundreds of mummies and a pyramid of an unknown queen unearthed at Saqqara. Uh, that is up at Live Science. And another interesting story. I don't know if you saw the fireball that was detected uh, before it crashed. Uh, it smashed into Lake Ontario a uh, big green fireball. So the fireball was getting into the spirit of a environmentally friendly Thanksgiving. Uh, green fireball crashed into Lake Ontario. Uh, and that is another interesting story. And, you know, I was actually thinking of that story. And I was thinking, I haven't heard anything about space except for the Artemis mission that launched. Uh, they're testing radiation vests, saying that, well, we got to make sure the radiation is. Uh, not severe before we send astronauts up there. And that's made a lot of people scratch their heads and ask logical questions like, okay, if you're having to test to see if this radiation is too intense in 2022, how did you do this in the 60s and 70s? But again, that is something we'll say for another show as well. But I'm thinking of aliens because I haven't heard anything about aliens recently. I haven't really heard anything about um you know, UFOs, I mean, maybe I'm not looking hard enough, but I haven't heard a lot about this. My attention's been focused on, um, you know, I've been reading a lot about ancient history. I've been reading a lot about, well, things like Saqqara. I've been reading a lot about uh, pyramids and ziggurats and mythology and things like that. Uh, doing a lot of Graham Hancock reading. I'm reading his book, Underworld, which is a really technical but fascinating read. And I thought, you know, I, I almost want to do like an alien an alien themed type Thanksgiving show, but um, I, I ended up not going in that direction. But what I did think was something Stephen Hawking once said, Stephen Hawking once said, and maybe you don't like the guy, that's fine. Still a genius. But he said one time, if aliens visit us, the outcome would be much as when Columbus landed in America, which didn't turn out well for the native Americans. That's the quote. If aliens visited us, the outcome would be much as when Columbus landed in America, which didn't turn out well for the Native Americans. Now, for such a smart guy, he's a little bit too politically correct and perhaps a little tone deaf. And I don't mean that as a joke because he talks through the computer. I mean that in the sense that, um, you know, Columbus didn't just, and he actually saw his own UFO, by the way. It's in his journals. Columbus didn't just like land somewhere random and say, okay, boys, kill every single brown person you see. That's like a really disgusting oversimplification of history. And the idea that it didn't turn out well for Native Americans, I, I, I mean, I don't know if, if you're Native American or if you're an Indian I'm not sure what you prefer to be called, but from what I understand, and I have a lot of native or a lot of Indian uh, history myself, uh, 
genetics uh, in my family. And uh, I've always heard that the term Indian is the appropriate term to use. I'm not particularly concerned with political correctness, but Native Americans is kind of kind of insulting, I know for sure, to some people and to some tribes. So it's a really gross oversimplification of history. And, you know, when I was growing up, it was still acceptable to play games like Cowboys and Indians. This was once permitted on the playground. And, you know, now that's seen as a grotesque and, you know, racial stereotype Cowboys versus Indians. And the same idea has over the years birthed the notion that Likewise, you know, during Thanksgiving, uh, pilgrims and Indians never got along. Okay, I, I get it. There's this oversimplified history that's taught in schools that Native Americans or Indians and pilgrims, they got together. You know, the pilgrims had their buckle hats. The Indians had their loincloths and they sat down and they had some pumpkin pie. Obviously, that's not what happened. It's a painting. You know, it's a it's a drawing. It's kind of like George Washington in the boat crossing the the icy river. You know, it didn't happen exactly like that. He wasn't standing up. Probably he was probably hunkered down. It was freezing out. The water was was, you know, part ice. You know, it's a painting. It's a it's a representation of a historical event. So obviously, Indians and pilgrims didn't just say, hey, Let's have dinner together. That's that's probably not what happened. And of course, even the dinner, maybe or the late lunch that they had, uh, is nothing at all like we eat what we eat today. First of all, and second of all, uh, even in the images and the paintings, it's completely different than what is in the historical record. So again, it's not just just because the the imagery suggests one thing, and this is how we codify it in our brains. It doesn't mean that someone is trying to write Indians out of history or trying to portray pilgrims as these wonderful civilizing people uh, and therefore Indians as savages. It's just the way that we depict history in the same way that George Washington is on that boat um, or in the same way that, you know, different cultures see their saviors differently like and this is almost kind of ironic it's like jesus christ is traditionally seen as this white caucasian like figure Uh, obviously if the guy was wandering around in the middle east thousands of years ago uh, it's unlikely that he was white and i've i've said that for a long time but i've also realized recently maybe jesus was white because in south and central america where you have um famous Indian tribes and very famous uh, archaeological sites, as we've been talking about recently, um, Tiwanaku and Teotihuacan in South and Central America, respectively. These cultures uh, and those that predate the cultures that uh, either built these sites, uh, like the Aztecs found Teotihuacan, they didn't build it. It was ancient when they found it. Uh, and the Inca said they didn't build Tiwanaku. They didn't build it. Uh, it was built by their ancestors, which are even much more ancient. But their beliefs were that the gods that came to civilize them were actually white gods. So maybe Jesus was white. But it's, you know, cultures are going to put their own spin, if you will, 
on their characters, on their myths, on their their legends, on their gods and goddesses, etc. However, you do find instances, as I just said, where the Indians there, who certainly were not Caucasian, were showing in um, in their myth and in carvings and reliefs and well, basically paintings and drawings. They were showing Caucasian-like gods or, you know, a, a kind of a completely separate thing. You have the Olmecs who have these big Negroid heads that are just massive, massive, like 10, 20, 30 ton heads. And although there, there supposedly is a, a historical record for uh, some kind of African migration into the Americas at some point in the past, it's not, at, you know, prior to what we consider to be the, the slave age. It's nowhere near the time when the Olmecs would have carved these these heads. So this goes back even further into history, and this is kind of a whole other thing. But um, the point is, the history that we know is not so black and white. Um, As Stephen Hawking said, if aliens visit us, the outcome would be much as when Columbus landed in America, which didn't turn out well for the Native Americans. There is an irony there, especially when you look at People like Francisco Pizarro or Hernan Cortez in uh, Pizarro in the Andes and Cortez in Central America, they reportedly, I don't know for sure, uh, I believe historians believe that Cortez in particular studied the religions of South America, understood that they had this belief in these white civilizing gods, Veracocha in uh, South America, uh, Cortez in Central America. Did I get that backwards? No. Cortez in Central America, Pizarro in South America. So in Central America, you have Quetzalcoatl, and in South America, you have Veracocha. And these are white civilizing gods, and they promised to return one day after they were driven out by conspirators. In the case of Veracocha, like Osiris in Egypt conspired, uh, I think, 72 conspirators in the story, like the 72 sacred names of God. And in the case of Quetzalcoatl, he was driven out by uh, Tiasquetlipoca, the god of smoking mirrors and chaos and destruction. Very similar to the story of Krishna at Dwarka being conspired against by a king who um, drove him out and then his city sank. And that was the beginning of the age of the Kali Yuga, which is our current uh, chaotic and, and age of uh, wickedness and destruction and uh, will eventually, according to that tradition, come to an end by fire or water. Uh, I'm digressing from the point. You've got these white gods and Pizarro and Cortez likely studied these religions and came as these civilizing gods to spread culture, to spread religion, etc. And we look at the conquistadors in the same way that we look at the pilgrims. And I guess it also depends on what school of thought you come from. You either think pilgrims and colonizers and conquistadors, maybe they did bad things, but they were overall good people. I'd have to agree and disagree. Or you look at pilgrims and colonizers and conquistadors as totally evil, having never done anything good. And I'd have to, well, agree and disagree with you. It's not a black and white subject. And the proof of that is, well, it's in the proverbial pudding. You have documented records, documented evidence of groups such as the Knights Templar, very Caucasian, having come to the Americas about a hundred, it's estimated about a hundred years before Columbus, sometime in the late 1300s. 
And they made agreements and arrangements and marriages and had children with natives. These were white Caucasians. And it's likely, depending on the area that the Templars went to, we know that in North America for sure, possibly in Central America, possibly even in South America, they might have also been seen as the return of Viracocha or Quetzalcoatl. And they didn't massacre Indians. They were a brotherhood, a fraternity, and they got along with the local inhabitants. They formed relationships with them. They made agreements with them, deals with them. They engaged in commerce with them. They had families. They had children, etc. For the Templars, it was kind of like they were escaping uh, the powers that were in Europe at the time, particularly the church. This is why they went to Portugal. This is why they went to Scotland. That's where the Scottish Rite of Freemasonry, Rite of Freemasonry comes from. So different motivations, but these were white people that made agreeable decisions and mutually beneficial decisions and agreements with the local inhabitants. So white people are not evil, and Indians are not 100% without malice, without anger and violence. This is the thing that I find to be incredibly offensive and tone-deaf and ignorant, to believe that all Indians are without any kind of fault, to believe that all Indians are these wonderful, beautiful people. That's not true for Indians. It's not true for black people. It's not true for Hispanic people. It's not true for white people. It's not true for Asian people. It's not true for any people. One particular group of people cannot be reduced to evil, to either evil or good. That is beyond an oversimplification and beyond uh, an arrogant uh, belief system to hold. Okay? Now, the average person in any society, Indian, white, black, Asian, Hispanic, whatever, the average person is concerned with living their life and having their family and friends and community and um, being happy, especially today. We have a lot of conveniences, a lot of things that allow us to live in a way that we don't have to worry about a lot of the things that our ancestors had to worry about especially around a time like Thanksgiving. We kind of forget what Thanksgiving's about because our gods are grocery stores. We can get all of our abundance from grocery stores. So when you look back at pilgrims and colonizers and conquistadors and Indians and all this stuff, and you look at the politically correct version of this history, what you're looking at is an arrogant and ignorant and a ludicrous black and white polarizing perspective on historical events that are so oversimplified that it's embarrassing. It's not that pilgrims and colonizers and Caucasians and white people were totally 100% without fault. Of course they were at fault. And Indians likewise were not 100% without fault. See, this is something that very few people would like to acknowledge because it's politically incorrect to suggest that Indians were doing anything except living in a utopian society, which is not the case. And don't take my words tonight to mean that I am attempting to justify genocide because I'm not. That's wrong. But we're going to get into all of this 
throughout the broadcast this evening. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. It's going to be a controversial one for you tonight. Cowboys and aliens, pilgrims and Indians. A lot more after this. Don't go anywhere. The Secret Teachings radio show is on Facebook and Twitter. Just search facebook.com forward slash The Secret Teachings to like us and TST underscore underscore radio to tweet with us. If you enjoy The Secret Teachings and want to hold years of Ryan's research in your hands, visit the website and grab a physical and digital copy of Ryan's books. Occult Arcana will introduce you to sacred myths, folklore, magic, and alchemy. The technological elixir will take you from transhumanism and AI to black goo and UFOs. Food philosophy will change your mind about what we call food, germ theory, and geoengineering. And remember, shipping is always included. Some restrictions exist for international. Visit thesecretteachings.info. From Ground Zero to The Secret Teachings. Keep your dial tuned to Ground Zero Radio. If you'd like to hear more of The Secret Teachings, if you missed a show or part of a show, sign up to the ever-expanding archive at thesecretteachings.info. When you subscribe for a month or a year, you get access to the full show archive to every show after it airs. You can download and stream unlimited episodes and share your login with friends or family. With your subscription, you can also get access on the website to all of Ryan's digital books and the ever-growing montage archive. Just visit thesecretteachings.info and click on the Donate Subscribe tab at the top of the page. Use the secure PayPal link and start your membership today. By subscribing, you support The Secret Teachings, Ryan, and yourself. This is one of the best discussions I've been on in a long time. You guys are right on it. Howdy, this is Joe Mars, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. If anyone can hear this broadcast, I'm still on Earth. This is the frequency of Ground Zero Radio, Ground Zero with Clyde Lewis, and The Secret Teachings with myself, Brian Gable. You are tuned into The Secret Teachings Radio. I'm your host, Ryan Gable. Happy Thanksgiving. Whether you're listening Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday this week, Thanksgiving week, we'll have a couple of nights off, but we will be posting the best of shows in the archive, and I'm sure they'll be playing on GroundZero.Radio at the normal time, 10 p.m. to midnight Pacific. Tonight's show is, well, it's probably pretty controversial, See, I was reading a bunch of history and I actually decided I'm going to write a book on this. And I did. It's called Liberty Shrugged. And I turned a little bit of the first segment tonight, I actually turned that information into a chapter in my book, Liberty Shrugged. And it's based on this idea. Stephen Hawking once said that if aliens visit us, he's talking about greys, reptilians, Pleiadians, uh, whatever that the outcome would be much as when Columbus landed in America, which didn't turn out well for the Native Americans. Now, did Columbus do really terrible things? You betcha he did. Reports are that Columbus murdered a quarter million Arawak Indians. Base minimum. But this is really a gross oversimplification of history. To suggest that what Columbus did inherently defines everything that you need to know about Columbus and his voyage. And it glosses over 
a hundred years of history before Columbus when white people, Europeans, ventured across the Atlantic Ocean and made it to the Americas, particularly to Central and North America, and made agreeable compacts with Indians there. In fact, married Indians, had families with Indians, and share, whether it was before these Caucasians, known as the Templars, specifically. Uh, I'm sure there were others along with the Templars. They brought others here, largely to escape the effects of church power, which wished to see them eradicated in Europe for a number of different reasons. And in coming here, it was kind of like why the pilgrims came here a few hundred years later, right? They were trying to escape religious persecution. And these Caucasians, largely Caucasians, these what we call the Knights Templar, they came to the Americas, particularly Central and North America. They made agreements, they made deals, they traded with, and they even had relationships intimately and had children. There are some native tribes, Indian tribes, that retain and maintain those Caucasian features to this day. And not just in North and Central America, also in South America. And it's strange because just like with the Olmec heads, you find these enormous 10, 15, 20, upwards of 30 tons or more estimated heads that are carved out of rock uh, usually one solid piece, and these are Negroid in, in, in uh, characteristic. Uh, they are not Indian uh, in the sense of being from the Americas. Uh, they are not Aboriginal to this location. They are clearly depicting features that are very African in the same way that the gods of South America, like Veracocha, and the god of Central America, Quetzalcoatl, these are both civilizing gods. They're both white gods, Caucasian gods, that came on the ocean, brought civilization to these Indians, and then left promising to return. In both cases, Veracocha was driven out by conspirators like Osiris in Egypt, and in the case of Quetzalcoatl, by Tezcatlipoca, kind of like the story of Krishna and Dwarka in northwestern India. Very similar stories told throughout the world, but again, these were white gods. And this was long before Columbus, like a hundred years before Columbus, you had Templars coming to the Americas. And in the case of Quetzalcoatl and Veracocha, we're talking about hundreds, we're talking about potentially thousands of years. Uh, we're not even sure. What the, what the estimate would be. Um, the Inca said that their sacred sites were built way before their civilization began, and they were built with the assistance of these white Caucasian-like gods. So we're talking thousands of years in the past. So when Stephen Hawking said, famously, if aliens visit us, the outcome would be much as when Columbus landed in America, which didn't turn out well for the Native Americans. Well, for a lot of Native Americans, it actually turned out very well. And likewise, for a lot of colonists, pilgrims, see, there's different definitions to these terms, right? We think pilgrims, we're thinking like 1620. We're thinking like belt buckle hats, 
we're thinking like a Thanksgiving meal. You could classify them as colonizers. And there were others who were not really pilgrims in the sense that you would define the word. Uh, They were not really religious refugees. They were people that were looking for, um, they were land speculators. You know, there were people that uh, just were businessmen. And they weren't trying to escape religious persecution like the Templars or the pilgrims in the traditional sense. So there's a lot of different types of people that came to the Americas in the same way that there are a lot of different types of Indians. A lot of different types of Indians, a lot of different types of tribes, many of which were at war internally and externally with other tribes in the same way that the British and the French hated each other. And then, you know, what we call Americans or the United States of America, as it would come to be teamed up with the French against the British. And then, you know, if some of the same people had just fought the French with the British and then they teamed up with the French to fight the British, the American Revolution. So and, and hats off to the French, because we probably wouldn't be a country without the assistance of the French. Uh, they do care about things. Uh, they really just hate the British. They, they do care about a lot more than, you know, wine, bread and cheese. Uh, They just really hate the British. I'm pretty sure that, you know, for the most part continues to this day. So you have internal conflicts in Europe, obviously. And historically, this is something else that I explore in my book, Liberty Shrugged, unrelated to the Indian question. And that is Europeans were enslaving Europeans. It was customary for white people, for any people in the world throughout history to enslave one another. It was only when the church said we probably shouldn't be enslaving other Christians that largely white people started enslaving other people who had different religions. So, you know, if you were a Muslim, you were, you know, it was up in the air. You could be you could be enslaved by white Christians. But likewise, if you're an Arab Muslim, you could absolutely enslave not only other Muslims, you could also enslave white Christians, etc. And when that was eventually effectively outlawed and banned for the most part across Europe, then white people turned to other places like Africa. And it was really convenient because Africa already had a booming slave trade run by slave lords, run by pirates, run by chieftains who would go deep into African territory and countries, steal people, kidnap people, and then sell them on trading blocks on the coast where the ships would come and pick them up. And for all you hear about the Middle Passage, you hear nothing about the Sahara, you hear nothing about the Muslim trade, you hear nothing about the modern-day Somalia slave trade, and all those things I explore in my book, Liberty Shrugged. So that's one piece of history. Now back to the Indian question. When Stephen Hawking said, hey, if aliens came here, it would be it would be pretty bad. It would probably be like what happened when Columbus landed in America. Now, did Columbus do really bad stuff? Yeah, Columbus did really bad stuff, but Columbus also did really good stuff, okay? If we have to oversimplify everything to good and bad, Columbus did bad stuff, but Columbus also did good stuff. In the same way that you can't say every single colonizer, every single conquistador was a rapist and a murderer and a thief, because that's not true. And there were plenty of conquistadors who did terrible things. And then they decided this is wrong. And maybe to absolve myself of my sins, a lot of people 
historically decided to begin documenting Indian traditions. And they became authors and wrote books about those traditions because they had taken, um, taken liberties with destroying these civilizations and cultures. So they decided, I will try to obtain absolution uh, and uh, forgiveness in the eyes of God, and I will attempt to document these uh, tribes and see if I can uh, you know, prevent myself from going to hell. Maybe it was selfish, but it's because of those conquistadors, likewise, who decided to do that, that we have a lot of the records that we have, but it's also because of others, other conquistadors and other colonists that they destroyed, you know, sacred things that we'll never see. Um, so it's a much more complicated thing. It's a much more complicated history than just aliens come to Earth and it's like Columbus coming to the Americas. Because again, before Columbus, Caucasians came here and made agreements with, engaged in commerce with, and even engaged in marriage and relationships with the Indians of a different culture, different traditions, different languages, different customs, different habits, and of course, different colored skin. So it's not one's good, one's bad. And this is what I never understood about that ideology, and particularly about the politically correct ideology. How is it that all white people, every pilgrim, every conquistador, every Caucasian, every European, how come every single person who has light skin color is evil and guilty of some horrible genocidal act? But every single red person, every single native person, every single Indian person never did anything wrong. Now, I'm not saying that to justify what evil people did. What I'm saying is it can't be so black and white. And in fact, history shows us that it's in no way so black and white or red and white, if you will. Conflict with native tribes was always an issue. In fact, I'm not just talking about native Americans and Indians. I'm talking about Every culture, every tribe, every society on the face of planet Earth that we know of and countless ones we don't know of have always been at war with one another. Period. Conflict with native tribes with Europeans was always an issue, whether it was with pilgrims, and I'm sure not all of the Europeans that came before Columbus I'm sure not all of them got along with the Indians in the same way that I'm sure that not all of them got along with each other. And I'm sure not all the Indians got along with one another either. But a lot of the abuses carried out against the native inhabitants and against the Indians were largely carried out by land pirates. They were largely carried out by traders, people that wanted to make money people that wanted to use deception and to use manipulation to steal and to unjustifiably take things with force or with, again, deception and manipulation. Think about the French and Indian War. It was fought between 1754 and 1763. And it was fought between the British, the French, and French allies and native tribes over this very issue. The French and Indian War probably won't tell you this in most history classes that are mainstream, 
unless you really dig into it and you're in AP history, the French and Indian War was basically a battle over land. And particularly because of land pirates, particularly because of traders. And so the French, with their native allies, and the British, they had some native allies, go to war with one another. The British and French hated each other, uh, and that persisted into the American Revolution as well. And by the end of the war, the British simply wanted peace. It's kind of like a Vietnam situation that got worse after the French and Indian War with the rebellion of the colonies. The, the British just wanted peace, and they wanted to prevent colonists. This was one of the big issues of the French and Indian War. The British wanted to create a, a state of peace, and they wanted to prevent colonists and Indians from killing each other. For as bad as the British Empire was, the British Empire was also good in a lot of ways. The British Empire was, for all intents and purposes, a very civil society. However, it's a totally different society, a totally different culture, a totally different system of economics and commerce and money and all of that than what Indian nations had. The Indian nations largely were as sophisticated, if not more sophisticated, than the British, but just two totally different ways of running a country or running a nation or running a people. And neither one is right and neither one is really wrong. So by the end of the French and Indian War, about 1763, the British just wanted peace. They were tired of it. It was bleeding them dry. And they were trying to prevent colonists and Indians from killing each other. And that's largely because colonists, against the will and against the authority of Britain, were pushing further inland. And that was causing conflict with the Indians who, well, this was their territory. Colonists were coming into their territory and they were appealing to the British, please stop colonists coming into our territory. We're going to keep things that simple because that's a little piece of history that you normally don't learn in history class. So the British didn't have a direct open policy of just yet invade that land. Colonists were disobeying the crown, and they were proceeding individually and sometimes collectively in groups and, and companies into Indian territory and claiming stake in that territory. And that was causing conflict with the Indians and the British crown was very upset because this was causing unnecessary conflict and necessary harm. Then the Indians would come into colonial territory and they would kill colonists. And this wasn't good for anybody at all. The simple fact that natives of any tribe, Indians of any tribe, would side with the British or French for any reason is completely and totally contrary to the black and white history about European colonization. This reality of Indians making agreements and deals with the French, with the British, etc., this reality nullifies the white guilt narrative. And largely due to a couple of very Super simple facts. Europeans had traveled to America for hundreds of years with goods to exchange for things like animal pelts and other items. The transactions were desired as much by Native Americans as by Europeans. In fact, Natives became as, de as dependent on European merchandise as Europeans were dependent upon European merchandise. And most interactions were so peaceful that most of them resulted in actual friendship and in some cases, marriage and even children. 
So the history is a lot, a lot more um, colorful than the black and white narratives that are spun, not because of some conspiracy, but because of, I, I, I guess, um, well, perhaps there are narratives that institutions and um, certain belief systems wish to maintain. Uh, if you read into this history by yourself and not what you're taught in school, uh, you learn that it's a lot more colorful and flavorful than the black and white, you know, everybody's at war, cowboys and Indians kind of a thing. So natives and Indians, they sided with the British in some cases, sided with the French in other cases. Sometimes it was just to preserve land. Sometimes they disagreed on things that were much more complicated than just land disputes. Uh, Indians were reliant on European products just as much as colonists or, you know, Europeans in Europe were reliant uh, on those products. And um, it's interesting because native tribes were definitely angry with some traders and land speculators, but they weren't necessarily angry with all colonists. In fact, it was the abuse suffered by a handful of land speculators and traders not the presence of all white men throughout history and into the future that caused uprising and rebellion. The question then becomes, why did native tribes side with the French in that French and Indian War? Because the French were kinder and more willing to trade and engage in proper diplomacy. And the British were as well, but the issue once again is rendered down to abusive parties and the perception of the natives. The British were much more harsh and rigid than the French were. The French were more willing to, willing to engage in commerce and diplomacy. So most Indian tribes sided with the French. A lot of it also had to do with land and the fact that colonists, British colonists, were taking land that even the Crown said don't take it. And so the Indians were very upset at the British. They sided with the French, and we had a, an all-out war over it. It's a really messy, sticky, and bloody situation, and it cannot be reduced to Red man good, white man bad. That is just a grotesque abortion of historical context. Now, a lot of ideas circulate today about Native American culture, which is as rich and complex as any other. But romanticizing Indians is just as dangerous as dismissing their suffering in history. One persistent myth maintains that Native societies viewed ownership of property as an evil invention of the white man. But this is not something that I don't think could be any further from the truth. Virtually all Indian tribes recognized personal property in some form. And you, you, if you can email me with one that didn't, I, I'm not disagreeing with some tribes didn't believe in owning personal property. Some tribes were matriarchal. They were not patriarchal. Uh, some tribes were more closer to, I guess you could say, you know, European uh, uh, tradition and belief. And a lot of that has to stem has to stem from the uh, interactions they had with Europeans hundred years before Columbus and hundreds of years before uh, this time period of the, the mid 1700s we're talking about. So we have this idea that Indians didn't believe in personal property, but that's not true. That's not even close to true. Nothing could be further from the truth. Tribes recognized personal property in one form or another in some capacity. They had an idea. They understood what personal property meant. 
and their property was not shared in common like some dystopian communist nightmare. Uh, Those who profess such ideas also tend to promote the idea that America was only founded because colonists stole land from innocent Indians. This is also preposterous and grossly oversimplified. Non-natives were coming to the Americas since at least the 14th century to trade, make alliances, forge friendships, explore new lands uh, with local assistance, etc. And because some chose to pillage, rape, steal, and defraud through alcohol and immoral practices did not, does not ch- charge guilt to every single European. That's preposterous. And to levy such a charge is to erect immense confusion since Britain, France, Spain, and the Netherlands were all largely invested in colonization efforts. So which Europeans are you charging with these atrocious acts? All or just a select few? Or are you going to try to isolate the land speculators? You're going to try to isolate the traders that broke laws of their own countries and exploited the native populations. You know, it's a much more complicated situation. And not complicated in the sense that it's hard to understand, complicated in the sense that it's more complex than an oversimplified black and white history, red, good, white, bad. This is something we're going to explore a little bit more. I am absolutely fascinated by this history. As I said, I have a whole chapter on it in my book, Liberty Shrugged, which you can get a copy of at thesecretteachings.info. In fact, you can get a copy of Liberty Shrugged, Occult Arcana, Food Philosophy, and the Technological Elixir, all four books in digital form for only $20 for this Black Friday sale. You can also get access to our full archive with montages, and you get all the books. It's a $40 donation for the one-year subscription, www.thesecretteachings.info. If you're listening on a radio or podcast player, please leave us a review. Give us a couple of stars at the very least. Share this show with your friends and family. Really, really would appreciate that. I would really be thankful for that. Uh, We will not be here tomorrow or Friday new. We will have replays. And if you keep up with our archive, we'll have some best of shows because tomorrow, of course, is Thanksgiving and Friday. We're going to have the night off, uh, have a have a nice extended weekend. Uh, we are coming up on the break here. So if you'd like to email the show, rdgable at yahoo.com, TST radio at protonmail.com. Those are the two emails. When we come back from break, we're going to look further into the Indian question. We're going to look further into the European question, the idea of pilgrims. And Indians, a little bit more in the second hour as well. Very brief history, because I find it really interesting, of the Thanksgiving tradition in the Americas, what it means, where it comes from, uh, and a lot more right here on The Secret Teachings. Again, Stephen Hawking once said, if aliens visit us, the outcome would be much as when Columbus landed in America which didn't turn out well for the Native Americans. But this is a very gross oversimplification of history. And when we reduce history to this, uh, not just oversimplification, grotesque and like uber oversimplification, uh, we miss a lot of pertinent details. Okay, Not all Indians were good people. Not all Europeans were bad people. Uh, there is balance to be struck uh, within the historical record. And we're going to set that record straight I've done that in my book, Liberty Shrugged, to the best of my abilities, and we're going to continue to do that tonight on The Secret Teachings Radio. The music is White Bat Audio, 
That's White Bat Audio. And uh, I like this song. It kind of sounds like Stranger Things, but this is White Bat Audio. Uh, enjoy this song. We're going to go to break. Come back the bottom of the next hour, and we will continue our expose into the question of pilgrims and Indians tonight on The Secret Teachings. Happy Thanksgiving. A lot more after this. Don't go anywhere. www.thesecretteachings.info If you're looking for a great gift that keeps on giving this year, check out one of my four books for the holiday season. Occult Arcana is a monumental collection of esoteric and occult lore. The technological elixir looks at UFOs, demonology in the music industry, and the soul and spirit in relation to modern technology. Liberty Shrugged, my new book, takes you on a historical journey through the concepts of natural liberty and provides a different angle on the American Revolution. Food philosophy explores food industry propaganda, advertising tricks, and geoengineering. Get all four books only at thesecretteachings.info in softcover or digital. That's thesecretteachings.info. If you'd like to hear more of The Secret Teachings, if you missed a show or part of a show, sign up to the ever-expanding archive at thesecretteachings.info. When you subscribe for a month or a year, you get access to the full show archive to every show after it airs. You can download and stream unlimited episodes and share your login with friends or family. With your subscription, you can also get access on the website to all of Ryan's digital books and the ever-growing montage archive. Just visit thesecretteachings.info and click on the Donate Subscribe tab at the top of the page. Use the secure PayPal link and start your membership today. By subscribing, you support The Secret Teachings, Ryan, and yourself. People ask me all the time what they can do to take control of their lives when facing a daily onslaught of dis- and misinformation. I say take control of your body and mind with water filtration. Visit www.thesecretteachings.info and click on our affiliate sponsor link with Pro One Water Filters at the top of the page to search for a water filter for the home, camping trip, and even the shower. They filter countless contaminants and make a wonderful gift for friends, family, and yourself. That's Pro One Water Filters at thesecretteachings.info. Hello. Folks, this is Jordan Maxwell, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings, excellent shows with your host, Ryan Gable. Think about your hero when you're at ground zero and call out to the fallout back to me. <laughs> 
Attention, you are tuned into restricted airspace. Tune out immediately. This is the frequency of the secret teachings on Ground Zero Radio. Hi everyone, this is Mark Passio, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. Welcome back to The Secret Teachings Radio. I'm your host, Ryan Gable. It is Wednesday, November 23rd, 2022. And a happy Thanksgiving to all of you listening. Even if you're not in America, happy giving of thanks this harvest, festival, fall, autumn season. Tonight on The Secret Teachings, we're looking into the question of pilgrims and Indians. You know, people used to play cowboys and aliens, cowboys and Indians. These, I think, are considered socially inappropriate and racist games for kids to play nowadays. I want to play my own version of this game tonight, though. It's an intellectual version where we analyze pilgrims and Indians and we try to understand exactly what is meant by the terms pilgrims and Indians. And I wanted to start once again with this quote from Stephen Hawking, who famously said that if aliens visit us, like gray aliens, reptilian aliens, I'm not sure what aliens he had in mind when he said this. If aliens visit us, the outcome would be much as when Columbus landed in America, which didn't turn out well for the Native Americans. The only problem with that statement is, although Columbus probably wasn't the best guy, in the world, probably wasn't the nicest guy in the world. It's a gross oversimplification of history. It's not entirely accurate. Now, are we going to get all of history correct? No. Is everything we read about history going to be entirely accurate? No. It is a vast wonderland of details and context and events and people and speculation We're never going to have a complete and absolute understanding of every historical detail. And sometimes when those details are missing, it's not a conspiracy. In fact, most of the time, it's not a conspiracy. However, there are warring ideological factions in our society today that wishes to use the Pilgrim and Indian idea and theme to either write totally out of history pilgrims or colonizers or white people or religious refugees, etc., to write them totally out of history, while others see that as an assault or an attack on their culture, and they respond by attempting to write the Indians or the Red Men completely out of history. And it's not just reduced to political ideology or pseudo-intellectual discussion at universities or in media. It is something that goes beyond that. What is a pilgrim? Can we even define what a pilgrim is? Is a pilgrim an evil white person with a belt buckle hat who killed Native Americans? No. Is a pilgrim someone who has a belt buckle hat and uh, dresses in church-like clothing and invites Indians to dinner? 
probably not that either. A pilgrim is just a person who journeys from one place to another, usually for religious reasons. And this is why the pilgrims originally came to the Americas to escape religious persecution. Now, there's some irony in this story. You know, this story is much later than Columbus. But even before Columbus, Caucasians, pilgrims, came to the Americas. Some of the first pilgrims were actually very intellectual, very militarily skilled warriors called the Knights Templar. They came to the Americas in the 1300s and early 1400s minimum. The Sinclair family was in the Americas reportedly around the same time. So we have white Caucasian people, and not only white Caucasians, but conquistador-like people, people that were armed, people that were very skillful with a sword, very skilled in battle, coming to the Americas not to slaughter the natives, not to slaughter the Indians, not to rape the women and take the land, but to find refuge, to find shelter. And these pilgrims came long before the Plymouth Pilgrims. And they made relationships. They engaged in commerce. Some even had marriages and children with the Indians. The Knights Templar were also a very spiritual, for the most part, not all of them, but a very spiritual group of mostly, largely, almost exclusively men who revered the sacred feminine. And that probably worked really well with some Indian tribes who were matriarchal. This is a history that predates Plymouth. It predates, well, the 1619 Project. It predates, which I also destroy in my book, Liberty Shrugged. I have a whole section on it called Abolishing the 1619 Project. It predates Columbus. And it predates most of the history that we know. If you go back even further to a point where the Aztecs, who are more recent on the scene in Central American history, and the Inca, much more ancient, the Aztecs, the Inca, the Maya, they all say that their sacred sites were built by people that came before them. And they were built by white men who had characteristics similar to, well, the Knights Templar, although it wasn't the Knights Templar because we're talking thousands of years, perhaps at least hundreds, probably thousands, maybe tens of thousands of years, even before the Inca, uh, before the Aztecs, etc. Uh, we're talking about Tiahuanaco in South America and the god Veracocha, a Caucasian civilizing god, conspired against like Osiris in Egypt, but this was at Lake Titicaca, not on the Nile River, and Quetzalcoatl or Quetzalcoatl in Central America conspired against, just like Krishna at Dwarka in Northwest India, conspired against in Central America at Tolan, I believe is the name of the city, Tolan or Tolan, by Tezcatlipoca, the evil god that drove Quetzalcoatl out. Both Quetzalcoatl and Veracocha promised to return one day. Likely, when the Templars arrived later, it, they were probably seen as gods. And it's likely that because of the religious and uh, or the theological and the mythological traditions of these people that they saw the Templars as gods, welcomed them in, and nothing bad happened. Uh, then later, when Francisco Pizarro 
arrives in the Andes and Cortez arrives in Central America, they had reportedly studied the religions and, well, things didn't turn out as well. And they were allowed into the inner sanctum literally and figuratively by these cultures that greatly outnumbered them and they were able to commit mass genocide. However, when you think about what the conquistadors did, a lot of conquistadors didn't do those things. I don't know if you could call them conquistadors then. Some conquistadors did terrible things, then repented and decided, I want to preserve these cultures because I've seen unbelievable things and this should be documented for all of Europe to see. So we should be able to hopefully forgive those conquistadors in the same way However, that there are plenty of Indians who were doing terrible things to one another. You know, the Aztecs famously would sacrifice, in some cases, tens of thousands of people at once. I mean, this is like filling up. I mean, the only example I can think of off the top of my head, filling up a a, a hockey stadium, which has, you know, an average like what is like the uh, Amelie Arena where the Tampa Bay Lightning play. It's like 1905 uh, or 198. So it's close to 20,000 people. The Aztecs, in some cases, would sacrifice like three stadiums worth of people at the same time. Just behead them, gut them, tear their hearts out. That's pretty freaking barbaric. And the reason they were doing that is because when Veracocha was driven out of South America, when Quetzalcoatl was driven out of Central America, what happened was the cults of human sacrifice came back. And people were very eager to welcome these, well, at once it was the Templars, likely, and and their progeny. And then later it was the Conquistadors, and that didn't turn out so well. But they welcomed them because they were very much like the gods that brought peace and brought love and brought civilization. In other words, white people taught civilization to those Indians. White people brought love and taught things like Jesus taught. So maybe Jesus, as a, as a prototypical, archetypical character, was actually white. Because most civilizing gods were. I can think of a god who wasn't white, who was a civilizing deity. That was Osiris. He wasn't white. He was green because he was a bringer of agriculture. So he was depicted as green or the green man. So this is a fundamental thing to understand. It's particularly important when analyzing pilgrims and Indians. It's particularly not only fascinating, but a necessity to assess the current situation of political and racial and ethnic and cultural and historical divisiveness in our society. Usually around times of Thanksgiving where you get people that are like, and I and I, I at one time was this person. Oh, Thanksgiving is a time to sa- celebrate genocide. Well, actually, it's not a time to celebrate genocide. I was brainwashed when I said those things, you know, 12, 13, well, even 11 years ago. Uh, and I learned very quickly that's not true. And there are a couple of very simple reasons that's not true. Number one, Indians were committing genocide against each other. Number two, A lot of the conflict between Indians and colonists, particularly British colonists, was that the British colonists were refusing to abide by the laws of Britain. They were refusing to abide by the structure 
of the colonies. They were going beyond the colonies into native territory, and that was obviously causing conflict. And the British initially were not as willing as the French to negotiate and engage in things like diplomacy with the Indians. So as a result of that, the British ended up going to battle with not only the French, but with the French allies in those Indian tribes. This was called the French and Indian War. And then we have later another extension of that, essentially, which is, you know, Indian tribes fighting with the British against the colonists who rebelled, and then the French who were taking sides, and the Indians who were taking sides with the French, French taking sides with Indians, kind of switched, and the Indians were supporting the British, although some supported the French and the colonists and the rebellion against Britain. And it's a really complicated history, okay? And at no point in this history were any tribes of Indians levitating off the ground like ascended masters, okay? Now, we have to be careful with that idea because a lot of people might use that idea to justify genocide, which is wrong. What I'm saying is natives or Indians, and I keep saying or because some natives prefer to be called Indians. Um, I prefer the term Indian. I don't like the term native myself. That's an opinion. Um, that's just that's just my opinion. I, I like the term Indian. Uh, and I keep saying that because of the the perception of what it means to be Native American uh, and also the historical uh, perception of white people, Caucasians, pilgrims, uh, colonists, etc., uh, as if they've they were locked in this battle with with native tribes um, as if it's like an ongoing uh, war itself that has never really ended even to this day. Um, it's a lot more complex than the reduction of, of white people to evil conquerors and red people to these native tribes. That kind of implies um, a simplicity, a simpleness, a simpleton, if you will. Uh, at least that's, that's the perception that I tend to get out of those types of terms. So the simple fact that natives or Indians had taken sides with the French during the French and Indian War or the British or the French during the American Revolution is for whatever the motivation was, it's proof that they were not 100% adamantly opposed to having any relations with Europeans. In fact, point number three is most Indian tribes were as reliant on European products. I'm not talking about alcohol. They were just as reliant on European products as Europeans were reliant on European products. And Part of that might be because of the earlier Europeans who had come long before the pilgrims, long even before Columbus. And some of this stuff had been ingrained in certain uh, certain tribes, certain uh, Indian cultures hundreds of years uh, previous. So a lot of these transactions were actually desired by the Indians. What the Indians didn't like was when people violated the orders of their own country, the, the laws of their own country, and encroached on Indian territory. These were land speculators. Uh, these were um, compulsive traders. And it was the abuse that Indians suffered from these violators of the law and from these greedy people, not the presence of all white men throughout history and into the future, that caused uprisings and rebellions. 
And there's a lot of ideas today that circulate about Native American culture, which is very rich, very complex, just as any other. And when we romanticize these people, it's just as dangerous as an assumption as dismissing their suffering in history. We should not be romanticizing the red man, and we should not be dismissing the suffering of the red man. I mean, one persistent myth that always gets me is that Native societies viewed ownership of property as an evil invention of the white man. That is just fundamentally not true. Native tribes absolutely recognize personal property in some form, and their version of collectivized society, which maintains some level of personal property in some cases, and not all were collectivized societies run by the tribe, run by the, the matriarchal uh, um, uh, uh, leadership. Uh, they weren't dystopian communist regimes. It was a different form of collectivization. And, and those who profess uh, such an idea uh, that they didn't believe in personal property uh, also tend to promote the idea that America was only founded because colonists stole land from innocent Indians. This is preposterous and grossly oversimplified. How can you steal something from people that don't believe in ownership? Doesn't make any sense. So there's a lot more to the story than this. And one thing that doesn't get told, although I do tell it in my book, Liberty Shrugged, is Russian trappers who crossed Siberia in the 17th century in pursuit of valuable sable furs uh, and other furs. And... Um, as they pushed into the Americas, there's a great book called West of the Revolution by Claudio Sant, who explains um, that the Russians, largely due to uh, their search for furs, committed a lot of atrocious acts against the natives on the West Coast. Uh, the native peoples in these areas were um, Basically, Siberia's redmen, an equivalent to North American Indians, according to Claudio Sant in the book, um, and they took property, they took land, they took um, a lot of, the Russians took a lot of things from the Indians. And you never, I mean, as much as we hate Russia today, you never hear about what the Russians did to the Indians. Are they not the right type of white man or because they're, you know, because of the Slavic history, they're different than Europeans. Like, what's the deal here? The, I mean, the Russians sent 16 vessels in the 1770s to visit the Aleutian Islands and what we now call Alaska, and their goal was simply to gather fur. The ship known as the St. Paul reached the far eastern end of the island chain in 1771 to gather sea otters and foxes. Eventually, the ship made it to the Unamak Island, the largest of the chain, and the Russian footprint in the Aleutian archipelago left countless Aleut people kidnapped, tortured, murdered, and raped. Where is the anger over the Russian history of genocide against Indians? I've, I've, I took AP classes. I've never heard anybody mention the Russians. In fact, when I found this book, West of the Revolution, it was a discount book at a Barnes & Noble, and I read the thing, I just devoured it, and I thought, this is literally like a major cornerstone of history, especially in the Americas. And I've never heard literally anything in this book. It's a really interesting book, West of the Revolution. Um, I took some very important pieces out of it for a chapter on Indian relations in my book, Liberty Shrugs. So if you want to read more about that, uh, you can read that in my, uh, in my new book. So 
In response, the Alaskan natives united against the Russian hunters. Hundreds were slaughtered in response and four ships were destroyed. So the Indians fought back is the point. And it was only because at first they were very kind to the Russians and the Russians were very violent. And so this caused uh, an incredible amount of conflict, as you know, you would expect. So history doesn't tell us much about this side of uh, the country during this time period. History doesn't tell us much about this because we're focused on very specific symbolic issues, right? I mean, we still have a misunderstanding. I think it's a a manufactured misunderstanding of what the three-fifths compromise of the U.S. Constitution is all about, right? It's about preventing slave owners from counting their property who they didn't consider humans as humans as civilians, as citizens, one time so they could acquire more political um, support, more votes, so that they could uh, uh, obtain and maintain political authority to expand the institution of slavery. The Three-Fifths Compromise was a compromise. There were two sides conflicting with each other, and this was the compromise. You can count your slaves as three-fifths of a person. If you free them and they are you know, uh, free people, free citizens, then they can be counted as a full person. Otherwise, if you're going to enslave them and call them property, you can't count them as a person as well as property. Pretty logical conclusion. And then when you read the Confederate Constitution, okay, the Confederate Constitution explicitly says Negro slavery is to be preserved because those who wanted to nullify the federal constitution did not believe that the federal constitution protected slavery, so they wrote their own constitution. It's a very important piece of history. So a lot of the issue between Native Americans, between Indians, between colonists, pilgrims, etc., is cultural customs, definitions of words, habits, traditions, etc., etc., etc. Native people's did believe and still believe in personal property. I mean, they had general philosophies. I mean, I believe in personal property, but I don't think anybody should be able to own the air or the water. This is something that traditionally we think is like a Native American concept, an Indian concept. Uh, Indians didn't come up with this idea any more than, you know, Buddhists did. Uh, This is a spiritual philosophy uh, nature is an abundance, a cornucopia for all of us to, to take from what we need and to share with others. And if that is your assertion that they don't believe in personal property, they don't believe in owning anything, how can you steal something from people that don't believe in owning anything? It doesn't make any sense. But this is this is what I was taught in school. So this is what you know I learned, and then I learned that it's a preposterous notion, and uh, there's something missing. So um, I did a lot of research and I wrote a book called Liberty Shrugged where I broke a lot of this down. I mean, if you're looking for a really good gift this holiday season, I keep plugging my book. I'm, you know, I apologize, but it's, it's all about what we're discussing t- tonight. So, you know, n- none of these questions um, are allowed in the black and white or red and white pseudo historical narrative. Um, we romanticize uh, history. We romanticize uh, Indians, native peoples, that they lived in total harmony with nature, taking all that they needed and nothing more. 
But according to historical record, most were living on land that was scarce of resources. Um, Claudio Sant points out in his book how scarce resources had led to a long-term trend of resource intensification in the four millennia before contact with Europeans officially. He says that uh, natives decimated their landscapes just like Europeans did, albeit in different ways. Claudio writes this in West of the Revolution. That is, to support a growing population, native peoples increasingly extracted more calories per square mile and exerted more energy in doing so, to the point that they had destroyed local breeding grounds for certain birds, overhunted large game, and reduced the population of sea mammals. Um, in other words, Indians destroyed their hunting grounds. Indians destroyed their um, sacred land, as we might refer to it as. Uh, Indians destroyed their agricultural um, habitat, their agricultural systems. They over-farmed. They over-exploited the fish uh, and the, uh, the land animals. This is historically documented. Cultural clashes, broken promises, um, conversion attempts by the Europeans, all of these things led to suffering, disease, starvation, forced movement, torture, and destruction of local land and resources. Europeans exacerbated problems that existed before Europeans, hundreds of years before Europeans ever officially made contact with these Indian tribes. And both Europeans and natives were equally and are still equally responsible for what happened. Uh, but this reality doesn't even justify the harsh treatment visited upon either group of people by the other. And that's an important history we need to understand as well. There are plenty of Europeans, plenty of Caucasians, plenty of, of pilgrims, you know, who were religious, uh, religious um, uh, refugees, basically trying to escape religious persecution, just like the Templars hundreds of years before. Uh, these were not evil malice-driven people. These were, generally speaking, these were kind, um, kind-hearted and uh, uh, caring people. Uh, so not all Europeans, Caucasians, pilgrims, etc. were violent and aggressive and not all of them, you know, you know, broke away with, um, you know, the rule of law as it stood at the time. All of these people have, you know, various different motivations in the same way that Indians had various motivations. I mean, we always blame the white man, but it's not the white man. The red man also overfished and overhunted and over uh, used his land and destroyed his land and destroyed the hunting grounds and destroyed the water in the same way that Europeans have. I mean, ha have you been to a reservation today? Reservations, and this has nothing to do with the U.S. federal government, the federal government doesn't run these reservations. Uh, they are inherently poor. They are and Indians on these reservations are inherently like blacks in ghettos, sick and deprived of resources. That's why a lot of people leave the reservations. And Indians treat Indians that want to leave the reservations like black folks treat blacks that want to leave the ghettos. You know, they're Uncle Tom's. They're betraying their heritage. They're betraying their ancestors. If anything, that's an invention of the white man and those certain white men that tried to keep these groups subservient. But that's only a small faction. 
Not all white people acted like that. White people, red people, whatever, they're just people. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. When we come back, we're going to talk more about the question of Indians and pilgrims, pilgrims and Indians, and a little bit to conclude the show on the traditions of Thanksgiving here in the States. Again, I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. More after this. Listening to the Secret Teachings. For more information on the show or to contact Ryan, visit thesecretteachings.info or email Ryan at rdgable at yahoo.com. Hey, this is John Peasy at johnpeasy.com, and I'm here with Ryan Gable from The Secret Teachings. If you're looking for a great gift that keeps on giving this year, check out one of my four books for the holiday season. Occult Arcana is a monumental collection of esoteric and occult lore. The technological elixir looks at UFOs, demonology in the music industry, and the soul and spirit in relation to modern technology. Liberty Shrugged, my new book, takes you on a historical journey through the concepts of natural liberty and provides a different angle on the American Revolution. Food philosophy explores food industry propaganda, advertising tricks, and geoengineering. Get all four books only at thesecretteachings.info in softcover or digital. That's thesecretteachings.info. You could listen to this. And again, you know, people say David has no evidence. David has no evidence. I hate this channel. Or you could listen to The Secret Teachings with myself, Ryan Gable, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. Join us to explore the outer limits of history, symbolism, parapolitics, and more. We'll explore a little bit of everything, but don't take my word for it. I'm kind of like you. I'm the last of a dying breed, a generalist. That's The Secret Teachings, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. This is Kev Baker of The Kev Baker Show, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. Thanks, Ryan. This is David Knight with thedavidknightshow.com, and you're listening to The Secret Teaching. Broadcasting from somewhere between the normal and abnormal. A collection of question marks. No reason, no explanation. Just a prolonged nightmare in which fear, loneliness, and the unexplainable walk hand in hand through the shadows. It's The Secret Teachings on Ground Zero Radio. I think one of the biggest differences between Indians and what we call pilgrims, you know, white people, Caucasians, Europeans in general, uh, these are different names that uh, have different meanings, but we, for some reason we want to reduce everything to a simplified identification, uh, simplified uh, terminology. One of the big differences is the division of labor and the way that commerce was engaged in by these two uh, relatively different cultures, similar in in a lot of ways, but totally different in other ways. Um, Indian tribes that had already adopted agricultural practices, um, you know, like for example, Native Americans divided labor into the, in their societies based on male and female aptitude. Uh, a slightly different version or division of labor existed in the varied Indian tribes that already adopted agricultural practices that we uh, kind of attribute more so to, you know, Europeans. Um, and here it was common to find women in a field farming uh, rather than men in the field farming. And this was totally foreign to Europeans who saw masculinity as being synonymous with the field and the plow of agriculture. Um 
Carol Birkin writes in her book, Revolutionary Mothers, which is a really good book, a really good read, how far more disturbing to these Englishmen and women was the power that women wielded, especially in Indian societies that relied primarily upon agriculture. A lot of these societies were matrilineal, meaning they traced their genetics based on mothers rather than fathers. They were matriarchal. Uh, in most Iroquois groups, it was common to find clan mothers selecting and removing tribal chiefs. Indian women in general fulfilled a powerful role in some cultures when it came to issues of war and peace within society. Uh, another surprising practice to Europeans was that some Indians also had matriarchal practices in which married couples or a woman and her children lived with her mother's family rather than living uh, with, with the man. It was all female-driven. And such conditions clearly removed the father's authority over a household, and therefore, philosophically, morally, and religiously, this conflicted with European culture. And this cultural difference is likewise found in contrary um, and very alien economic systems wherein land and property were valued entirely differently. Uh, the American Revolution, according to Birkin, left Indian culture devastated largely on the basis of cultural shifts, not even so much any acts of actual genocide. Um, a lot of it had to do with cultural norms changing, matriarchal societies becoming more patriarchal. And likewise, it could have been the opposite way of round, uh, around. Indian tribes could have dominated those Europeans, and those Europeans, us, we could have become, those of us who are European, those of us who are European could have become more matriarchal. And, you know, although a lot of feminists like this idea, imagine a world that is completely matriarchal. Uh, your, your sense of meaning and purpose, whether you think that's a good thing or not, would be totally different. The good things you have in life today might be totally different. It's not a good thing or a bad thing. It's cultural clashes, cultural differences that lead to drastic changes in the way that cultures um, carry on traditions or lose those traditions and have to create new traditions. Indian gender norms, it's a funny thing because of all of the gender talk today, Indian gender norms were kind of a reversed reflection of European tradition. And Indians therefore saw European tradition as alien. Europeans saw Indian tradition as alien. And you have some people, a famous woman named Molly Brandt, a Mohawk Indian. Uh, she was born into a family that practiced some kind of form of Christianity. And she attempted to work with both worlds. This is what's key here. She attempted to work. She's a historical person, real person. Um, she attempted to work with her Mohawk heritage and the European Christian identity and kind of merge the two together. Okay, it's, it's not a matter of whether Europeans, pilgrims, colonists are right or wrong and Indians are right or wrong. Neither one is right or wrong. It's a result of cultural clashes, and one culture will become dominant. And as a lot of uh, tribal chiefs, a lot of Indians attempted to point out, it was probably best so you don't lose your culture to attempt to at least assimilate to some degree uh, to become somewhat agreeable with the practices of 
I say colonizers, not in a negative sense, but uh, of the more dominant culture. And this is something that Chief American Horse um, uh, Lakota uh, Sioux, uh, I believe was his, um, his heritage. He was known for promoting peace and education among settlers and Native Americans. He believed that they should work together, uh, very much like this Mohawk lady, Molly Brandt, who practiced both Mohawk tradition and more European Christian tradition. Another woman, a Cherokee Indian woman named Nancy Ward, um, this is not um, Elizabeth Warren, this is Nancy Ward, uh, she lived as a warrior, because more matriarchal, right? Uh, and she was a, a uh, political diplomat. And she had, very similar to uh, Molly Brandt, she kind of had, historically, as another real person, um, she kind of had this merging together of both European and Native worlds as well. Um, in 1887, there was something called the Dawes, D-A-W-E-S, General Allotment Act. And uh, under the Dawes General Allotment Act, Indian reservation land was broken up among individual Native people. The idea was basically to create responsible farmers, agricultural, patriarchal, farming communities in the image of, well, European society. Europeans saw Indian traditions and culture as strange in the same way that Indians saw European culture and tradition as weird and strange. So this is from the Encyclopedia Britannica. Under its terms, the president determined the suitability of the recipients and issued the grants, usually by a formula of 160 acres, to each head of household and 80 acres to each unmarried adult, with the stipulation that no uh, grantee could alienate his land for 25 years. So all Native Americans receiving land became U.S. citizens and were thus subject to certain laws. Some Indians chose that. Some tribes chose that. Others chose not to abide by uh, this new changing of the guard. They wanted to hold on to their beliefs and their traditions and live the way they've always lived. Nothing wrong with that. Okay, it's just that's a choice. That's a decision. Uh, the Encyclopedia Britannica acknowledges that original supporters of the Dawes General Allotment Act were generally um, and genuinely interested in the welfare of Native Americans. Even the Encyclopedia Britannica notes that they were, quote, genuinely interested in the welfare of Native Americans, but there were not enough votes in Congress to pass that bill until it was amended to provide that any land remaining after the allotment to the Native Americans would be available for public sale. Uh, that's what it took to pass the, 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 the bill. Uh, Native tribes quickly deteriorated under the act in opposition to what many had hoped or thought. Finally, as we often hear today, uh, as Encyclopedia Britannica relates, life on the reservation came to be characterized by disease, filth, poverty, and uh, a number of other very negative and um, depraved things. As a result of their inability to adapt to European customs and lifestyles, many tribes lost their lands entirely while surplus land was made available to, well, colonizers, um, changing the entire societal and cultural structure of Native societies, weakened their communities, and even um, uh, and levied a you know, very heavy burden uh, that destroyed these communities. 
But these changes, according to official history, which at the university level is usually white people are bad, uh, at the university level, these changes were, quote, not anticipated by the sponsors of the bill. The, the, it, it is believed, officially, historical uh, university-level history that the sponsors of the bill had genuine intentions in mind to help these people, but it didn't turn out the way that they had, you know, they had uh, speculated it would. And maybe that's, you know, another lie of history. Maybe they intended to create these conditions. Um, but the point is, a lot of this has to do with cultural clashes. Uh, a lot of this has to do with choosing to adapt, choosing not to adapt. A lot of this has to do with the fact that earlier on, way before the uh, the period we're talking about here, uh, sometime around, uh, I was at 1887, so we're talking like Civil War era, uh, 100 years or so before this, um, and even before 100 years before this, around like early 1700s, 1600s, etc., Pilgrim uh, age, if you will, uh, Plymouth age, you have Indians that refused to even converse with Europeans, that they did not like Europeans at all for any reason. That's in the most extreme. Likewise, you had Europeans that just did not like Indians regardless of what they believed, how they acted, etc. So you have arrogant and ignorant Indians and you have arrogant and ignorant Europeans. And no matter what the reason is for the arrogance or the ignorance, they despised each other. However, there were also plenty of Indians who were fascinated by Europeans and plenty of Europeans fascinated by Indians. And this is the other end of the extreme. They wanted to learn from each other. They wanted to learn of the traditions, the habits, the customs. And this is more so uh, the idea of what happened at the first quote-unquote Thanksgiving, which wasn't you know the first official Thanksgiving. Um, as we see in paintings and depictions, it's kind of like George Washington on the Delaware. He probably wasn't standing up looking heroic. He was probably hunkered down and very cold. But it's an, it's an image that gives us an idea of history. Uh, Indians helped the pilgrims. And you know the pilgrims were religiously persecuted. That's why they came here. That's why they're pilgrims. And they did get along for all intents and purposes with Indians. But those pilgrims are a lot different than some of the colonists, let's say, that came and, you know, they brought with them uh, white servants and white slaves. Some of the original slaves uh, in Virginia were actually white slave girls, like European white slave girls, not black. They were whites. So that is a whole nother story, but that's an important piece of the puzzle as well. Um, so what ends up happening as this story progresses is you, you learned that um, Native Americans and Indians, for one reason or another throughout hundreds of years, were angry at Europeans. And sometimes it was justified, sometimes it wasn't. But likewise, Europeans were very angry. Colonists, pilgrims were very angry at Indians. In some cases, for no reason other than they, were, they had you know, different skin, different culture, different customs. In both cases, I know this might be controversial, but Indians that felt that way were, were, were ignorant in the same way that white people that felt that way were ignorant. Um, Indians were at war with one another in the same way that Europeans, British and French, were at war with one another. 
and in a war that you don't particularly have much of an interest in or that there are certain specific things that you want, it doesn't really matter what you think of the people that could give them to you. You side with them because they can help you obtain those things. That's why the Indians sided with the French in the French and Indian War and then largely with the British, but also with the French in some cases, uh, some tribes during the American Revolution based on what they desired and what they wanted. They made agreements. They made alliances. You know, a lot of the things that we read about in the history books, they're wrong not because, I'm trying to think of how to word this, it's, it's the, they're wrong not because of a conspiracy, um, but because for us it's more culturally and traditionally acceptable to paint our ancestors as the good guys, right? And likewise, I would imagine, I'm, I'm going to take a guess, I'm going to take a stab at this, that most Indians, most, you know, reservations, most school systems on those reservations probably aren't teaching their kids that there were ignorant, arrogant, violent Indians that caused conflict with Europeans, colonizers, settlers, pilgrims. That was totally unnecessary when those people wanted to do nothing more than learn from the Indians and engage in commerce and, well, even have sex and have families and have marriages and all that. So there were plenty of Indians who were just as freaking arrogant, just as freaking ignorant, just as freaking violent, and not just with Europeans, with their own tribes. They were at conflict with one another. I mean, I mean that, that is such a controversial thing to say, but, you know, and maybe it's an arrogant or I should say ignorance, not an area, it's an ignorant thing to say that Indians were scalping each other. They were just scalping Europeans. We're scalping each other. They were they were they were in conflict with one another with one another long before Europeans officially ever arrived, and and that that's an important history, because if we don't understand that, then we we paint this very um, well, it's very racist, a very racist and stereotypical caricature of a people that they were living in a state of utopia, and then Europeans came around and effed it all up, and that's not true. That doesn't justify what some Europeans did. But look, some Indians were savages. But some Indians, most Indians, were not savages. And likewise, some Europeans were not savages. But some Europeans were savages. Mostly the greedy ones who broke their own country's laws, who violated treaties, who targeted Indians for no good reason, who raped Indian women, who burned villages down, etc. There were just as many European savages as there were true Indian savages. But generally speaking, most of the Indians were not savages. They had a high level of culture and sophistication equal, but totally admittedly different than the European system. And their largely matriarchal system, not all were matriarchal, their largely matriarchal system, their value of land and property, totally different than the Europeans. I made this point in my book, Liberty Shrugged, that number one, if Indians don't believe in owning anything, how can you still land from people who don't believe in owning land, which is, you know, just a, it's a thought experiment. But number two, perhaps more importantly, if uh, Native Americans or Indians um, had a 
had a system of 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 um, buying and selling, a system of commerce, a system of economics, a system of uh, agreed upon prices and value to things, which they they certainly did. Just it was alien to Europeans. Um, this alone would set cultures in a in a in a um, conflict with one another, ideologically, um, economically, etc. And to suggest that Indians gave away land, like the old kind of slight, the old kind of racist comment, well, the Indians gave away, uh, you know, land for, I don't know, a pumpkin. Um, you know, they gave away land for, uh, you know, some booze. Um, that is an extremely racist, truly, you rarely ever hear me say something like this. Say something like this. this is a sincerely and serious racist statement to make because you're suggesting that the Indians who made agreements not for pumpkins or alcohol had no ability to comprehend uh, the value of what it was they were selling, what it was they were trading, um, and that they were ignorant and they simply were like, uh, yeah, uh, we'll give you, uh, you know, we'll give you all this land for that bottle of, uh, you know, white man magic juice. You know, that is such a racist caricature. They had a sophist. The Indians had a sophisticated system of economics, of commerce, of exchange, of currency. It was just different than Europeans. So don't say that in engaging in these types of trades and selling things for land that the Indians didn't understand the value of things. They just put a different type of value on those things. You know, it would kind of be like, I mean, money is valuable to us, right? If I've got a hundred dollar bill, it's valuable. I can buy a lot of things with that sort of, you know, and with inflation now, it's a little bit less. But if I found, um, if I had that hundred dollar bill any other day of the week and I wanted to buy food or wanted to buy gas or wanted to buy something else, you know, it would be valuable for those things. But if I came across one day, you know, a, a rare book that I wanted to buy and, um, you know, someone, maybe they, maybe they knew the value, maybe they didn't know the value of the book, okay? So the book in this case is going to be, you know, land. Um, they didn't really, maybe they didn't care as much about the value of the book. They don't give a damn about the value of the book. They just want to get rid of it. Or they think an equal exchange for that book is not the $100 that I see as being very valuable. Uh, they say, just give me 50 cents for it, get rid of it, like at a garage sale. And I'm like, but that book's worth like five hundred dollars. They're like, I, I just don't care. I just want to get it out of here. Give me fifty cents for it. It's kind of the same situation. Um, not that Indians wanted to get rid of their land, but they had an agreed upon system of exchange. Europeans had a different agreed upon system of exchange. And if Indians wanted to trade land for something that we consider quite silly, how dare you, as a scholar, suggest that those Indians didn't understand the value of things? That's what's racist. That's what's offensive. That's what I find to be abhorrent. That's what I find to be totally obscene. And so it goes with the history of Thanksgiving. It's a, it's a day of giving thanks. People have these festivals all around the world. And debates extend across professions and individual states in our country uh, over what the first holiday was. Was it 1621 at Plymouth? 
Uh, others say it was a 1565 feast at St. Augustine. Others say it was a 1564 feast near the current city of Jacksonville, Florida. In fact, Florida uh, reportedly was home to the first Thanksgiving, not Plymouth. Uh, others argue that the first feast took place in Texas. I'm sure that there were plenty of feasts that weren't uh, documented. Uh, each state wants to obtain and maintain historical supremacy in such an important historical event that can be uh, understood. Uh, generally speaking, though, Spanish Admiral Don Pedro Menendez, and his name goes on, it's a very long name, Don Pedro Menendez de Avales, or de Ivals, someone who speaks um, Spanish can help me out with that. Uh, he arrived in St. Augustine on September 8th, 8, uh, 1565, September 8th, 1565, um, and was greeted with, uh, you know, the, fan, the usual fanfare. Uh, and the captain of his fleet, Father Francisco Lopez, at the time claimed Florida for Spain. And the, le- the local Indian tribe, the Timu, uh, I think it's the Timuca uh, indigenous tribe, they uh, had uh, a gathering with Father Lopez, um, presided over by a Catholic mass, and they gave thanks for their arrival uh, at the settlement of St. Augustine. Reportedly, um, some of the Indians were invited, the Timuca were invited by the admiral to join the colonists for their first giving of thanks. So this is one of those things where we focus on Plymouth, we focus on the pilgrims and the buckle hats, but we don't recognize that the first Thanksgiving actually took place sometime in the 1560s. This is officially documented. It's in the Florida uh, Florida State Archives. There's images of it, uh, pictures and paintings of it to commemorate it. And the Spanish admiral didn't come and say, all right, where are these Indians at? Kill those savages. He actually sincerely, truly invited them to have and and partake in the mass and to partake in the feasting. That piece of history right there is paramount to our understanding of American history, to our understanding of our traditions and even traditions of Native Americans and Indians. It's so important to recognize that all the focus is on Plymouth, all the focus is on the 1620s. But if you go back to the 1560s, Spanish Admiral arrives in St. Augustine. And as he arrives in St. Augustine, he finds that he's greeted with fanfare from the other Spanish. And he invites the Tima, uh, I think I think you pronounce it Timacua or the Timuca, he invites them to actually partake in the festivities. So, you know, this is a really important piece of history. I'll say it over and over again, a really important piece of history. Uh, The first harvest at Plymouth Rock was in 1621, much, much later. And Governor William Bradford dedicated the occasion as a special day of prayers and giving thanks. Other states like Virginia and Maine have submitted their own claims of hosting the first Thanksgiving. It wasn't until 1777 that the first nationwide celebration of giving thanks was actually observed. A lot of this had to do with revolutionary war battles of Saratoga, uh, victories at Saratoga. Uh, Later on, I mean, and of course, this has to do a lot with Maybon, the fall equinox, autumnal equinox. Uh, The first official day of Thanksgiving in the U.S. was celebrated by the 13 colonies in order to honor the victories at the Battle of Saratoga. Congress, in response, 
to surrender of British General Burgoyne, declared December 18, 1777, as a national day of, quote, solemn thanksgiving and praise in recognition of military successes. It was the nation's first official observance of a holiday with the name Thanksgiving and is, again, closely related to the winter solstice or Yule um, taking place on December 20th through the 23rd. So the first Thanksgiving was more so related to the winter solstice. Uh, the Thanksgiving we know today is kind of more so related to, well, Saratoga, but that is close to the autumnal equinox uh, or Maybon uh, on the witch's calendar. Uh, and then the first National Day of Thanksgiving, 1789, President George Washington proclaimed Thursday, the 26th of November, to be a day of public thanksgiving and prayer. National Day of Thanksgiving was declared in 1789. Still not an annual celebration. Uh, in 1863, Abraham Lincoln, one of the Republicans who freed the slaves, declared a general blessing holiday to be on the last Thursday in November. That officially became the first day of giving thanks as we know it as a holiday. Later, Franklin D. Roosevelt, wanted to make the holiday federal, he moved up the date of celebration so it would allow for a longer Christmas shopping season to spur economic growth, and thus the birth of our modern Thanksgiving celebration in the United States. If you are interested in that history, I have a small section, because the book is immense, there's a small section on all of our major holidays around the world. In that book, it's called Occult Arcana, if you're interested in the Indian question and a lot of what we discussed tonight, by the way, I'm, I have a lot of uh, Indian uh, heritage in me, if you will, a lot of Indian genetics, uh, Blackfoot and uh, reportedly Navajo. Uh, that's what my grandma tells me. She has very distinct features herself. She says Navajo and Blackfoot. Uh, I, I know Blackfoot for sure. I'm not sure about Navajo. That seems far removed from where our family's from, but uh, Blackfoot certainly fits the bill. So I've always been interested. My grandma has always been interested in, in our heritage. Um, and that's part of the driving, uh, one of the driving factors that got me to research that subject for my new book. Uh, and that book is Liberty Shrug. You can get all four of my books digitally for $20. That's a massive discount from what they normally cost. You get all four of them. You can PayPal or you can Cash App. Or for $40, you still get all the books, but you also get the ad-free archive, the montage archive, and the private RSS feed. You can buy this subscription as a gift as well. You can also buy the books as a gift and you know, email them to somebody else uh, as a gift. Um, I can do autographs for physical books, but that's not part of our Black Friday special. The Black Friday special is $40 for the yearly subscription, $20 for all the books, uh, but you do get all the books with the yearly subscription. So www.thesecretteachings.info. I really hope that you enjoyed the broadcast this evening. I put a lot of energy and a lot of effort and a lot of attention to detail tonight. And hopefully this show will be one for the uh, one for the uh, one for the archives, let's say. Uh, Thursday and Friday tomorrow, I'm not sure what's going to be played, but we will not have brand new shows. However, if you are in the Secret Teachings Archive, if you're going to go to the Secret Teachings Archive, uh, pay attention because we're going to be uploading best of shows, uh, old Thanksgiving shows, etc. Last year we did a show called uh, Robot Turkey. That was a kind of a funny show name, and uh, that's a really good show. That'll be uh, up in the best of archives probably tomorrow or Friday. Uh, again, www.thesecretteachings.info. If you'd like to contact me, rdgable at Yahoo. Dot com TST radio at protonmail.com. The music tonight, White Bat Audio. Ground Zero Radio, our hosting platform, Aftermath 
the application, Aftermath FM, Ground Zero app. And uh, really appreciate and uh, am thankful for all of you as listeners. If it weren't for you, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. So please subscribe, take advantage of our Black Friday sales. If you have any questions, email me at those emails. And again, check out our website. Stay safe, stay informed, stay healthy. Don't be afraid, be informed. And for Thanksgiving, not only should you be thankful, but you should specifically be thankful, particularly thankful, about the obsessive compulsive abundance that we have here in America. Be happy with the abundance. Don't piss all over it. We'll talk to you next week. A lot of great shows planned. Happy Thanksgiving.